Blog Talk Radio. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for May 3rd, 2020. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Join me as always. Welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. Welcome, Tim Shiflett. Good evening, sir. And for you listeners out there, we came on in April of 2007. We are starting our 14th year uh, tonight. Thank you to all of you that's listened to us all this time. Yes, Tim, you were there for the first one, as was I, um, pushing it through. Catherine's been here for well more than half of that, so... um, it, it, time flies when you're having fun, and the last few years, right. while some of it hasn't been fun, we sure have had a lot to talk about. That's that's the upside. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> yeah, I mean, hey, I, I'll I'll be glad in a few years, or I'm sorry, a few months, when this show gets boring and we like we have nothing to talk about, then uh, we'll we'll figure that out under the Biden presidency. But um, anyway, somebody that's with us many times, but it's been a little bit of a hiatus because he introduced to such great guest from um, Daily Coast, but he's agreed to come back tonight. Um, one of the longtime guests we've had from Daily Coast elections, Mr. David Neer, is going to be with us at about 18 minutes, 20 minutes into the podcast, and we'll talk about all kind of national issues. But until then, uh, we're going to discuss some things, and one issue we're going to discuss that is national um, that's um, a little bit different. Uh, we know who the Republican nominee is. We know who the Democratic nominee is. But there's always some third-party candidates that actually we we got ready for two, but actually apparently there's three. Uh, the Constitution Party, um, they chose uh, Don Blankenship, uh, but we can even discuss him too. But the Libertarian Party, uh, Justin Amash is going to run for their nomination, which I believe they have a convention, and they may have a lot of the same problems the rest of the parties have having a convention, or because there's Libertarians – hey, maybe they'll just go ahead and have their convention because, you know, that may fit kind of with their mantra. And then the Green Party, there's a rumor that former Minnesota Governor Jesse Ventura is going to seek the Green Party nomination. Um, Catherine, what are your thoughts on how any of these candidates might affect the race as a whole or certain states? Um, You know, kind of what's your first take? I just don't think they're going to have much impact. I think this um, election is going to be all about Trump, and his supporters are going to vote for him, and um, people who don't like him are going to vote for um, the presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. I just I, I feel like it's unlikely that a third-party candidate will have much impact. Yeah, Um Tim, kind of the same thing, and and thinking about individual states, I mean, where could they possibly have more of an impact some places than others? Well, um, 
I'm with Catherine. Um, I, I just, I really don't think they'll make a significant difference. Uh, not like 2016. In 2016, third-party candidates got like 5.8% of the national vote total. And I just don't think it's going to be anywhere near that much this year. It, this election, as Catherine also mentioned, or I think it is, is straight up or down vote on Trump. And if you don't like him, you're probably going to vote for Biden. And if you do like him, you're going to vote for Trump, and that's that. Um, uh, Jesse Ventura, he he won't even make a difference in in Minnesota, you know, where he was governor. Uh, I don't see where the Green Party is going to pull a million votes like Jill Stein did um, four years ago, and she did hurt Hillary Clinton in a couple of states. I don't think that's going to be a factor this time out. Uh, I think that Ventura, if he is the Green Party nominee, and we're assuming a lot, because to me he doesn't fit that party. Um, but I just don't think the Green Party will get over, you know, five, 600,000 votes. They get that. The Libertarians, maybe 2%. And that's about their normal. And if they hurt anybody, it's going to be Trump. It's not going to hurt Biden. And I, I don't think they're going to do much of that. And, I mean, Don Blankenship, a guy that ran for governor of West Virginia and lost, uh <laughs> Well, you know, I, I just don't think third-party candidates are going to do that much. I don't think they're going to affect any states uh, at all. Yeah, Don Blankenship, he gave us cocaine Mitch, but I don't know that um, – without that, I'm not even sure we, we would know who he even is. Uh, North Carolina – I mean, not North Carolina. Uh, West Virginia is not a real swing state, so even if he ran ahead of everywhere else, I don't think he would, you know, pull in votes for – most likely Donald Trump to to bring the race into um, you know competitive nature. Uh, but now talking about, I will say this: nobody thinks the third party candidates are going to do anything. And in the bigger picture, they never really do matter until we look at that one state that's divided by five hundred some odd votes or two thousand votes or whatever. And then you go, oh well. And then every single little thing counts. Um, now, I think, Tim, I think you're right. Jesse Ventura is an odd fit for the Green Party. Um, I do know that when he, the reason he got into politics in Minnesota, and I think it was Brooklyn Park he was the mayor of, was because of an environmental issue. So I'm not sure about his entire record, is, um, in particular as governor of Minnesota, if that was one issue where he was more left. But there were some issues he was more like a libertarian. He was more to the... To the right. I mean, he was pro-public school, but then he was conservative on this issue. He was kind of a populist in a lot of ways. Um, you know, and some of the people that probably like Donald Trump like the style of Jesse Ventura. Maybe not all the politics are the same, because Jesse Ventura, I will say this for him, he is not, um, uh, you know, a xenophobe or anything. I heard him on Stone Cold Steve's podcast, Steve Austin. And they said, you know, if Donald Trump builds a wall between America and Mexico, I've got a home in Mexico and a home in Minnesota, and I'll live on the Mexico side. I mean, he, he really was anti-wall, um, and he really had a deep respect for people in Mexico. So that's, you know, something that's very different in his brand of populism. But I don't know if he is going to make an impact. Would it be Minnesota? 
that's the thing they say. You know, Minnesota is one of those few targets where Republicans want to try to expand the map. Could Jesse Ventura, being the former governor and being that person that might appeal more to Trump-esque voters, kind of take that off of the um, table for Republicans, even as a target, Catherine? I don't think so. I, I think um, you've got Amy Klobuchar, who, you know, was in this um, primary for, you know, right up to the end. I mean, not really, but, I mean, she was in there for a long time. She's got a very powerful voice in Minnesota. And um, I just don't, I, I just don't see Jesse Ventura having the kind of impact that is going to make much of a difference. That's just my opinion, but I, I just yeah. Well, I mean, I'm, I don't I mean, think he a takes lot, I mean, Democrats. How long has it been since he was governor? It's been what twenty years. Ninety-eight to two thousand two. So you know, roughly eighteen years since he served. Twenty-two since he. Um, one, uh, I mean, basically, as long as Georgia's had a Republican governor, he's been out of office because he was a one-term governor yeah, and he won the same year for Barnes. There's going to be a lot of people who hardly remember what he was like as governor and then a bunch of people who don't even remember him. So I just don't see him having yeah. that much of an impact. <coughs> I, well, well, Tim, kind of I don't. same question, and, and – Keep it in mind that it is – the Republicans are trying to find targets to expand the map, and that's pretty limited. Minnesota's been named for a few cycles now. Does Jesse Ventura kind of complicate that? No. No, uh, the, the polling is showing uh, Biden up 10 points or more in Minnesota. Uh, the second thing you mentioned, uh, his strong environmental record. The problem the Greens have this year with that is that the environmental movement is out to get Donald Trump out of office. There's one way to do that, and that is to vote for Joe Biden. And I believe that's where the environmental movement is going to go and very strongly. That doesn't really leave the Green Party much to do. And we're still assuming that Ventura will be their nominee. He he very well may not be. Uh, they generally go with a pretty liberal person. Uh, well, generally they go with a very liberal person. So um, I, I just uh, – no, I just I, – I, I don't see it in any state. David, I'm sorry. I just, I, I just don't see it making a difference at all. Trump might be yeah, somebody and, that complains that the libertarians take votes away from him somewhere if he loses the state close. But I, I don't believe he's going to have much of a, a gripe coming there. Well, and I want to talk about a mosh before I come up with another question. I will say this. Also, Jesse Ventura has kind of become. Uh, a conspiracy theorist. I mean, he really latches on to some conspiracy, mm-hmm. uh, and, and and not so much necessarily like an Alex Jones, more of the you know where are the UFOs hidden and stuff like that. And of course, a lot of conspiracy theories are coming around coronavirus, and that might be something different. And then of course, that's not really necessarily going to fit in the Green Party. But let's move to Mosh. Let's pivot to him because once again, 
nationally, we know the Libertarian Party, they're always around. They're that one party that I guess, third party that gets on everybody's ballots. But he is from Michigan, um, and that's a state Donald Trump you know, kind of has to hold. And he did win a congressional seat in Michigan. Michigan voters are going to know him best. Catherine, could he uh, shave off enough votes to the point where even if Michigan may not be in play anyway, but it's even less in play because of Justin Amash in the race? Uh, you know, it's hard to say. There's a lot of people that are angry about the response to the coronavirus, and maybe it would be a, you know, uh of vote, you know, not voting for Trump because of whatever he's done and then not voting for the Democrats because of Whitmer. But I can't imagine that it's going to make uh, a difference in the outcome. I mean, there, it might they might, it might be a better showing than you would expect, but I don't think it's going to have an impact on the outcome. Yes. Um, now, one final question on this, and I want to ask. Now, I don't think either one of them would would uh, meet the polling threshold, but let's say that both of them got in the debate, and you had you know <laughs> Donald Trump, Jesse Ventura, Justin Amash, and Joe Biden in the debate. Would there be a possibility with four candidates that the Republican nominee would look the most outlandish and the least in control, Tim? I think so, because, number one, uh, Donald Trump is the most outlandish. And number two, I think what you would see would be something similar to what you saw uh, when Bush 41, Clinton, and Perot debated. Uh, I felt like I was watching a ping pong game, and President Bush was the ball, because... uh, (laughs) Uh, Clinton and Perot both were just hitting him left and right, left and right, left and right, left and right. Um, and and I think uh, you would see something like that going on. Number one, Donald Trump is the incumbent and would be defending his record. And number two, it's Donald Trump. You know who who wouldn't want to take a swipe at him? So I tell you what, uh, a a. a Four-way debate like that would be the very last thing that Donald Trump would want. I, I would think Joe Biden would probably welcome it. Yeah, it would be interesting to see. And like I said, I don't think either will even meet the polling threshold to get in. And I'm sure there's going to be some heavy negotiations. And I say there's even a debate because, of course, um, Donald Trump may not want to debate, and then, of course, if there's any way he could use the coronavirus to his advantage to say, oh, I don't think we can be in the same room, he'd probably take it, although he'll want, then want to rally with, you know, 30,000 people in a football stadium. So there won't be a lot of consistency there, I don't think. Tim, do you have a thought? Well, yeah, if, if the polling continues the way it's been going, and I don't know that it will, uh, because uh, Trump's campaign really hasn't got gotten rolling with, with all of this that's going on. They, they've been flat of their uh, faces. Um, 
if the polling continues as it has gone, Trump is not going to have any choice. He's going to have to have debates, and he's going to certainly want as many of them as he can get. The guy that's running behind always does. Uh, so yeah, there. There, there's going to be debates. I, I just don't know how many. It'll depend on how the polls are looking right now. They ain't looking good for Trump, so plan on at least three. Yeah, and, and uh, Catherine, I think Tim's right about this. If you're behind, you've got to have debates because you've got to have a means to catch up. But isn't the Trump campaign and all of his surrogates really causing a problem in that their whole campaign is, how can I be losing to effing Joe Biden? He's so terrible. He's so senile, he can't put two words together, and, you know, they cut up any time he's ever stuttered during a debate. But we know when you actually watch Joe Biden talk for, you know, 20 uninterrupted minutes, yeah, he's going to confuse, you know, two words like everybody does, but he's completely coherent, and they're going to make this character up that when the American people actually take the time to watch those debates, they're going to go, wow, he's – He's doing, you know, much better than we anticipated. He's completely there. Uh, aren't they, with this whole little narrative they're creating, what want a debate environment kind of totally tear that down? Well, I don't know. I mean, he, it's going to be interesting to watch the debate because I think, you know, uh, the, our president has such a temper that um, he might just, um, you know, lose his temper while he's on the stage, and that will be a very bad thing for him. Um, whereas Joe Biden, you know, he didn't do that well in the debate with the other Democrats. I mean, he had a few moments, but I think they were not, he was not, it was not his best, those were not his best moments. But I want to go back to this idea of the four uh, the debate with the four people. I think that that is exactly what Donald Trump thinks would be great. I don't think it would be for him, but I think he would love that. Because he's so smart, you know, he's a a stable genius, and he'd be, I can imagine him thinking, oh, this is great, I can tear them all apart. And then he would, you know, probably ultimately fail. But um, as far as debates, I, I mean, I... I my fear is that um, we lower expectations and then we go lower than that with uh, <laughs> President Biden. And well, I, it's an interesting. Go ahead. Finish. No, go ahead. I'm, I'm finished. Well, I was going to say is is that's kind of that, but that's where does every debate start? The Democrat has sky-high expectations. The Republican, be it Donald Trump or George W. Bush or Sarah Palin, they have these rock-bottom expectations, and they're probably so high we can never live up to them. This will be a situation where the Democrat will be – anybody rationally looking at it will not think that you know Joe Biden goes into it as the underdog, if you will, but it will be – Further down than a Barack Obama or a Bill or Hillary Clinton ever had. What do you think, Tim? Yeah, I think that you're right there. Um, yeah, you, you know I, I the the vice pre- the vice president has had you know a history of a stuttering problem, 
And now his opponents want to interpret that as him being senile, forgetting this and that and the other, and and nothing could be further from the truth. So they've set up a scenario where uh, Biden's expectations are so low that if he walks out on the stage and does not trip and fall flat of his face, he will be seen in the eyes of a lot of people as uh, a, a winner or, or certainly beating expectations. Uh, another thing, too, I really think if the polls show Donald Trump losing, he's going to have to want a one-on-one with Biden, even if the other candidates, uh, through some miracle, are approaching some sort of threshold. Uh, if you're behind, you've got to go after the guy who's ahead. If you're the incumbent, that makes it harder, and that means Trump would have to have a one-on-one with Biden and go for a knockout. If it's three-on-one, it's going to be three of them and one of Trump, and they are all yeah. going to be going after Trump. And he's going to be standing there all night playing defense when he desperately needs to launch an all-out attack on Joe Biden. What do you think, Catherine? I agree with that, but I think that I, – I, I agree 100% with you. But I feel like President Trump thinks that he can, you know, outdo all of that. You know what I mean? I think he's mm-hmm. so – um, has such a high opinion of himself that he'll be like, yeah, I mean, I think you're right. He does want a one-on-one with Biden, but I, I, I don't think he would shy away from that, that um, four man debate. I just, I think he would be, his mm-hmm. ego is so big that he would think that would be fun or an easy thing for him to conquer where I think he's wrong. But I, I just feel yeah. like that's his attitude. Oh, and and I don't believe he would shy away from it at all. But what I do believe is that reality at some point, oh, yeah. even for Donald Trump, would have to become apparent. And and the reality of the situation would dictate if he continues to run behind, he's got to knock out the guy that's in front of him. And the easiest way to do that is you and him. And that's it. Because if those yeah, other I, two are out there, that. that opportunity is just simply not going to happen. Um, yeah. Um, well, it'd be interesting to see how the debates kind of unfold. We've got a long time before we even get to the point where they are. But it's just kind of interesting to think about if you introduced more candidates. Um, but I don't think, you know, any of the actually three people – we mentioned will even make that threshold. Well, let's kind of just continue to talk about the presidential race for the next few minutes. And um, some of the polling that's come out, there's been public polling that has not been good for Donald Trump. There's been private polling, internal polling, that um, apparently almost got campaign manager Brad Parscale sued. Uh, I don't exactly know how he sued your uh, campaign manager for bad poll numbers. But um, the polling, you know, we can talk about state by state or we can talk about um, just overall. But, but Catherine, 
you, I sent a lot of it to you. I'm sure you saw a lot of it on your own. What are your thoughts on how bad it was? Well, it doesn't look good for um, right now, this week. <laughs> it doesn't look good for the president. I am uh, just holding my breath because so much depends on how the next six weeks or, or so go as far as the the COVID-19 crisis and the economics of it all. I think there's so much riding on that for the president as well. I mean, obviously, as well as for the country, uh, but politically for our president. And uh, so, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I like these poll numbers. They look good for um, Joe Biden and for the Democrats. They look great, but I just am holding my breath because I, so much depends on where we are six, eight weeks from now with this uh, pandemic. Yeah, Tim, the, the internal numbers, like I said, were, I mean, caused him to just really lose it, if you will. And then, of course, the public numbers are just um, exploding in Democrats' favor as well. Yeah, you know, it, it was thought. When when the when this started that that all of this might hurt Joe Biden and help Donald Trump. I mean, after all, he's the president. He's on television at will. He took over these daily briefings, and 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 they became what appeared at first to be a really good substitute for the big rallies that he couldn't uh, have. On the other hand, Joe Biden was reduced to a few videos and interviews in the basement of his home, which had been hastily ready to serve as a makeshift studio. But Trump, as we know, just blew it in spectacular fashion with some bizarre pronouncements. And uh, we, 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 we know now about the negative reaction to his uh, disastrous performance. And, and at the same time, all Joe Biden had to do was basically watch Trump self-inflict the wounds. And what appeared to be a distinct Trump advantage has become exactly the opposite, and polling is showing this. He has fallen several points behind nationally. He is definitely now behind in critical states like Pennsylvania, Michigan. Uh, He's running behind in Arizona, no better than even in North Carolina. Um, Wisconsin, Ohio, Florida, Texas, the second congressional district of Nebraska. Uh, I'd say our home state here is now less than a five-point race. Donald Trump starts on defense, guys. That That's just the bottom yes. line. And that is an unusual place for an incumbent president to be at this point. But right now, I want to welcome in our guest for, um, I don't know how many times, but it's been a little while since it's been on, but it's going to be well worth the wait from Daily Co's Elections. Welcome back to the Kudzu Vine, David Neer. Hi, everyone. It has been a little while. It's great to be back. Yes. Well, great to have you back. Um, well, David, we got so many things we can discuss with you, but um, one thing that we read about, and I think we discussed without you being on the show, um, uh, that you uh, were kind of involved with, I would say, 2017 was uh, John Ossoff and his campaign for special election um, in Georgia 6. Um, you were maybe the first person 
in the nation to identify one Georgia six as a, as a real target. And um, I guess John Ossoff was the he may have been the only Democratic candidate uh, running in that race. I know there's a lot of Republicans. How did you kind of come to identify that for the rest of us, including, I would say, three people that lived in Georgia? <laughs> so it was early 2017, as you mentioned, and we at Daily Coast Elections, well, says it right there in the name. We're looking for some elections to cover what's going to be interesting, and in particular, where can we actually fight back against Trump? And the options weren't many, and they didn't look all that great. The Georgia suburbs, uh, the Georgia suburbs of Atlanta had always been this traditionally very Republican area, and Donald Trump picked Tom Price, we remember him, for the uh, position of Health and Human Services Secretary. So we knew there was going to be a vacant seat there in the 6th District, and we knew there was going to be a special election. There was one interesting thing, though, about that area, which is it's an affluent, well-educated area, and it reacted really negatively to Donald Trump. And this is a district that Mitt Romney had won by 20 points. Republicans had always cruised there, but Donald Trump only won it by a couple of points. And we thought to ourselves, well, one of two things could happen here. Either this is, uh, was a one-time blip with Donald Trump on the ballot, and folks here are going to go right back to voting for Republicans just like they always have, or perhaps we are at the start of a new trend. And we decided to take a chance that we were starting to see a new trend in suburban areas like this. And even though John Ossoff lost, he came extremely, extremely close. And then, of course, a year later, Lucy McBath won the seat. So it was a gamble that paid off, and it, I, I couldn't have been gladder that it did. Yes, and, and let's kind of lead to my next question. Uh, Lucy McBath came, and she kind of got it done. Now, it may have been that it was on a you know, no traditional November general ballot election. It could be that she was just a superior candidate, um, different dynamics of the race. But now John Ossoff is running for, um, against David Perdue, um, for U.S. Senate, but and he seems to be getting a lot of attention in that race. There's another candidate in the race, uh, Columbus Mayor Teresa Tomlinson. There are other candidates as well, and it seems like uh, even in the polling they did, they polled John Ossoff versus Purdue. They didn't poll Teresa Tomlinson. Even though John Ossoff lost in that special election where Lucy McBath won, how, how do you think he's still able to get so much attention and as opposed to other Democratic candidates in the race. You know, uh, yeah, John Ossoff did lose that race, but he came the closest that any Democrat ever had in a decade. And so I think he acquitted himself well, and obviously he built up an excellent email list and uh, great press contacts. And, you know, when he jumped into the Senate race, those were all things that he had been cultivating all along ever since his loss. And it was one of the strengths that, that he brought to this Senate race. And you mentioned the polling. It's pretty amazing that uh, I, I, I imagine you might have seen the poll that Georgia legislative Republicans released late last week uh, that only had Purdue up 45 to 39 against John mm -hmm. Ossoff. And for the incumbent to be at only 45% in a state as red as Georgia, that's a, that's a stark warning sign. Yes. 
Well, and, and also, and I've, you know, full disclosure, um, you know, I, I hope, I'm going to vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is, but I still I just have a gut feeling that Teresa Tomlinson will be stronger in that if Raphael Warnock is the other nominee, or he'll be run on the ballot along with, I guess, Matt Lieberman and other folks. You have Joe Biden at the top of the ticket. A female candidate in Georgia with three big races to me would, you know, present a a more diverse ticket. Um, but yeah. uh, for some reason, you know, John Ossoff gets the attention. Well, uh, you know, there. Well, you, your argument has uh, a lot of merit. I think, though, that in the end, this race is going to come down to not the nominees that the Democratic Party puts forward, but how people feel about Trump and the Republican Party. Because mm-hmm. if Georgia if Georgia is in play at the presidential level and if both of the Senate races are in play, then I think we're going to have a close races no matter what. And I really think that it's going to be a referendum on the guy in the White House. Yes. Well, well uh, David, I've been a little rude. I've talked about my state. First, which I probably <laughs> should have talked about your state, but we're going to switch over and talk about your state. Uh, you li- you're a resident in New York, and it just got announced, I think, in the past week that they're just not going to have a uh, Democratic presidential primary. Now, the race is pretty much decided, but we kind of do believe in casting ballots in, in a democracy, um, and you were pretty upset about it on Twitter. Uh, kind of give us your in-state take. Yeah, so – I, you're, you read me right. I'm pretty unhappy about it, uh, as are a lot of people. Let me say what I don't think the case is. A lot of supporters of Bernie Sanders thought that this was a way to kind of take him down a peg or reduce the number of delegates that he might have at the convention this summer. Uh, the Sanders campaign wants as many delegates as possible, even though he's dropped out in a bid to influence the platform. I don't think that's the case. And the reason why I don't think that's the case is because the presidential primary is now happening on the same day as all our down ballot primaries, all the races for Congress, for state legislature, for local office. And so keeping the question of the presidential primary on the ballot, it's not like they're canceling an election. They're literally just deleting a question off of the ballot and What I think that folks like Cuomo and the people who answer to him were trying to do is to deliberately lower turnout for the primary. And lower turnout very likely would help incumbent candidates, especially those who are facing upstart outsider challengers. So that's my highly cynical take, except the thing is, uh, as, as good a job as Andrew Cuomo has done during the coronavirus. Uh, He is still an extremely cynical politician who is all about consolidating his own power. So that's my take there. Yes. Well, I want to ask one more question, and that way I can pass it to Catherine and Tim with nothing left on my plate. And I want to ask you about these protests that have seemingly popped up across the country. Um, Some of the ones in the upper Midwest have probably gotten a little more attention, but they've really been everywhere but they don't seem to be just about, you know, things affecting the coronavirus. Uh, people have brought a lot of semi-automatic weapons in northern states. Strangely enough, they've carried Confederate flags, um, things <laughs> like that. Do you kind of share my suspicion that this is more than just coronavirus policy? 
Oh, there's no question you're right. These are people who would have grievances no matter what was going on in these state governments. And I, I, I do disagree with you slightly about something, which is you refer to these uh, events as protests. Well, I think if you are toting a, an, a, a weapons to a house of government, that's not a protest. That is a, an attempt at violent intimidation. And I think that they are really trying to frighten people. Fortunately, uh, people like uh, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer aren't backing down. And the other thing that I, I, I want to emphasize here is these events, even though they've drawn out only small numbers of people, are getting so much media attention because you get visuals with them. I mean, those photos from the Michigan State House with these armed, uh, you know, insurgents inside, they're really arresting. But the reality is that vast, vast majorities of Americans are undertaking a political act, which is to stay home and make sacrifices and try to beat this virus. And there's no photos of that. And I think we need to remember, though, that the 85% of the country, at least, that is doing that is, represents the true majority and is doing the right thing. Yes. Well, one thing that kind of gave it away also, and, and this isn't the case where the people are holding Confederate flags or uh, automatic weapons, is some of the signs like, open up Fuddruckers and I need a haircut. You know, if, if somebody would have said, I hate it, I'm going to miss my high school or college graduation, or my wedding was postponed, or I couldn't get baby pictures of my uh, newborn infant that will never look that way again at a at, you know, studio, or I miss my senior night for soccer or baseball, things that they can never replace. But, my goodness, you can get takeout at Fuddruckers. Um, even if you can't dine in person, uh, that kind of gave it away to me that this is a lot of trivial crap on, on the case of some people. Because if they would have put those signs up, I might not have agreed with the people, but I would have felt for the people. Because, I mean, I feel for a lot of people in that same situation. My do daughter had, you know, pretty much her junior soccer season taken away, unfortunately. Um, well, I'm going to pass it to Catherine, who will pass it to Tim for some more questions. Hey, David. So nice to have you on. I hope you're safe and in shelter. You know, I'm on week seven of working remotely and have been out of the house a couple, maybe half a dozen times. So that's me. very similar here. Yeah, mm. <laughs> it's a whole new world, right? Entirely. Um, I wanted to t talk a little bit about uh, a little bit more about the Georgia Senate races. Um, so there are there actually is David neglected to mention Sarah Riggs Amico is running um along with John Ossoff and um and Teresa Tomlinson. So that's really a three way race. Uh Sarah Riggs Amico ran for lieutenant governor in two thousand eighteen along with in the Stacey Abrams um you know, race. And um so I'm just wondering, I mean, I know everyone is paying a lot of attention to John Ossoff, but do you think that having those three quite recognizable candidates, you know, Sarah Riggs Amico was a statewide candidate, Teresa Tomlinson is a longtime Democrat, you know, mayor of, of a, you know, reasonably sized city and thought to be a very um, – effective 
uh, leader, and then Asaf, who, of course, has gotten a lot of attention um, from the 2017 race. Do you think that makes a difference, or what, what are your thoughts about that? Sure. So I want to emphasize that um, though my organization, Daily Coast, supported John Ossoff in 2017, we don't have a dog in this fight in the primary. Um, I think that uh, sort of as I, as I was saying before, I think whoever emerges uh, has the potential to be a, a very good candidate. And you're asking, you know, sort of how does the primary uh, play toward, you know, uh, getting people excited? Um, I think that when you have a contested primary, you know, each of these three candidates has to build up their supporters. They have to get the vote out. They have to, they're almost certainly going to run ads and up their name recognition. And it's sort of, um, I don't want to say a dry run, but primaries can be a really good test of just who has the chops to put together a real campaign. Now, winning a primary is nothing like winning a general election. That'll be a million times harder. But it's uh, a good way to uh, – what, what's the line from uh, Top Gun? Let's, let's uh, kick the tires and light the fires. You know, you want to get the, get, 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 get the engine whirring. Um, and so, yeah, I think Democrats will be well-poised once the primary is over. Though, of course, uh, as Kudzu Vine listeners know, the primary has gotten delayed and there's a possibility of a runoff. That wouldn't be until August. So time is going to be a little shorter than usual, and I think whoever wins the nomination is going to have to move more quickly than uh, folks have are accustomed to in the past. And do you think that having both of these Senate races, the um, this open seat and then the Purdue race, do you think that has any impact on the overall sort of race in itself? Like, does it give us more um, sort of uh, more real estate to work. You know, we've got these two. Can- we're we're going to have two candidates in the in the um, general for each of these races. I, I'm just wondering if that if you think that's good or bad or doesn't really. Oh, make there's a no question that it's good. There's no question that it's good. Uh, if you're Democrats, you're uh, you know you were definitely excited when the second race, the special Senate election, came online. The one big thing, though, is that they are operating under completely different rules. The Ossoff, yeah. Tomlinson, Riggs-Amico race, that's a traditional primary, and the winner of that primary runs against Republican David Perdue in November. In the special race, all candidates from all parties will appear on the same November ballot together, and in the very likely event no one gets uh, a majority, then the top two vote getters are going to advance to January. And what worries me about that race is you, of course, have two Republicans, Senator Kelly Leffler and uh, Congressman Doug Collins, and three Democrats. And if you divide the Republican side of the vote two ways and the Democratic side of the vote three ways, if those, if you, those split somewhat evenly, then you could have two Republicans in that January runoff. And Democrats in Georgia have to be on guard for that possibility and have to make sure that does not happen. Well, and plus we have a terrible record for coming out and runoff, the Democrats. Yep. Terrible record. Okay, well, I'm going yeah, to that's a hard thing. I don't have any other questions, but if something comes up, it may come back around. It's so good to have Sounds you on good. the show. Thanks a lot, and take care. Tim? Good evening, Mr. Near. How are you doing, sir? Uh, pleasure to be back, Tim. Uh, listen, uh, up just north of you, uh, 
it finally appears that Susan Collins may be in some real trouble in Maine. Now, I know that Donald Trump brings trouble to incumbents in his own way, but that can't be the whole story. What has happened to Susan Collins in Maine after so many years of being a strong candidate, a strong office holder, that she finds herself in this situation right now? That is an excellent question, though I am amused at the notion of, of Maine being just north of me. I think Mainers would be aghast to hear that they are uh, just north of New York City. But uh, uh, getting, getting to the heart of your question, I think that the mask is finally off. I think mm-hmm. Susan Collins benefited throughout her career from a local media that, and a national media, but especially the main media, that actually sort of took her moderate Republican shtick at face value. And now I think that ever since Kavanaugh in particular, I think that that charade is finally over. And she is finally getting the crap that she has always deserved for being a hard right ideologue. And Mm -hmm. what's happened as a result is that the large chunk of Democratic voters who've always given her their support have finally realized, whoa, she's not who we thought she was at all, and are saying they're going to vote Democrat. So, uh, you know, part part of that absolutely is because of Trump, but it's also because of the actions Collins has taken during the Trump era. It was her choice to support Brett Kavanaugh. Donald Trump didn't Mm -hmm. need to do that. Now, while that's going on, the RNC just released a battleground poll of 17 states that shows the president trailing Joe Biden. The economy is in a free fall, and we're in a pandemic. And for the first time in a very long time, a large majority of Americans now think the country is headed in the wrong direction. Are all of those ingredients for an anti-incumbency wave for the party in power, in this case, the Republicans? Uh, you, you definitely hit the nail on the head there. I think what maybe is most interesting about Donald Trump's polling during this pandemic has been the fact that it stayed stagnant. We have seen, my team has been tracking in state after state, the approval ratings of governors. And it doesn't matter if it's a red Mm -hmm. state or a blue state, a Republican or a Democrat. Gubernatorial approval ratings are through the roof almost everywhere. And Donald Trump Mm -hmm. is still stuck at his 40%. And this is also true in other countries as well. World leaders have seen a huge rally around the flag effect in their home countries. The only one who really hasn't is Donald Trump. And that's because he's Mm -hmm. Donald Trump. He is that disliked and also that demented that he could screw this up. Because (laughs) if he were even remotely normal, then I think that this election would be a a, a runaway for the GOP. And the exact opposite Mm -hmm. is happening. And that really says something. Mm. Um, Now, I want to ask you one more question, and it's about his his, uh, opponent upcoming in the election. And and, in almost all cases historically, 
the vice presidential has had, shall we say, a minimal effect on the outcome of the presidential election. Uh, it's always been about the person at the top, pretty much. And I, I know there have been minor exceptions, like, well, 1960. There's no doubt Lyndon Johnson brought the state yeah. of Texas to John Kennedy. But in most cases, uh, you know, it's about the person at the top. That being said, is there a person that Joe Biden chooses that could be a game changer, or is this election simply an up or down on Trump? So I think that you're, you're obviously 100% right about the limited impact that a vice presidential pick will have mm-hmm. uh, at, the, uh, at the ballot box. But I do mm-hmm. think that the pick is unusually important this year for a different sort of reason, which is mm-hmm. obviously Biden is 77 years old. Uh, and mm-hmm. he will, you know, uh, let's hope he wins, of course, in November. If he does win, uh, he's probably, you know, less than likely to run for a second term in 2024. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. whoever he picks, if that person wins with him in November, that person's going to have the inside track the next time out. And that's mm-hmm. not a small thing. And of course, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead of yourself. Of course, we're all worried about this election, but you know he has to pick a vice president. So this is a question we kind of have to think about. And I also think that if Biden wins, the problems, the cleanup is going to be so extensive every mm-hmm. minute of every day for the entire term. And I think you want someone who really understands the magnitude of the problem. Now, I'm a huge Elizabeth Warren partisan. Um, I supported Mm -hmm. her in the primary on a personal level, and I think she would be a great person to, you know, oversee a lot of this horrible cleanup that's going to be necessary after Trump. Mm -hmm. But that said, uh, I think there are definitely uh, a lot of good picks that Biden could make. Uh, There are some that I like more for as possible successors, some that I like less. But to circle back to your original question, I really think this is going to come down to Trump and not what the Democratic ticket looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one follow-up question. Uh, yeah, as everyone who is not under a rock somewhere knows that the, the vice president did commit uh, during a debate to picking a female running mate. Uh, good move? Uh, I mean, I am extremely supportive of that. Uh, I think we mm-hmm. are so overdue. We're beyond, beyond overdue to have a woman president. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, think about how many other countries in the world have already done that. Uh, having a woman vice president is almost the least that Joe Biden can do here, especially, let's not forget, Hillary Clinton won the most votes in 2016. This is the yep. only country in the world where you can win the most votes and lose the presidency. It's unheard of. So, yeah. The feelings among Clinton supporters about, you know, real bitterness over being robbed, I feel them. And if I were a woman, I'd feel it, you know, even more so. So I think think Biden absolutely made the right call there. And again, uh, he has a ton of excellent options to pick from. You are right about that, sir. And with that, I'm going to send it back to David. David? Well, David Neer, I want to thank you for coming on, but also I want to tell you, 
um, you probably made news. Uh, you're not here probably seeing our in-state media, but Kelly Loeffler, she is doing so poorly. When you said there's a chance she could make the runoff, that's probably the best uh, prognostication her campaign's <laughs> gotten in a month. So when we see David Neer set on the kudzu vine of that Daily Coast election, <laughs> Kelly Loeffler could finish number two. There's a chance. <laughs> Man, putting that in an ad. So just be ready. <laughs> but you're, no, you're, you're, in all seriousness. Yeah. In all seriousness, thank you for coming on the show and it was well worth the wait and hopefully we can get you on again before election day twenty twenty. Absolutely. Let's do this again, everyone. Thank, thank you, sir. You, Stay sir. safe. You too. Bye bye. Yes. David Near Daily Co's elections, um, you know, on Twitter. I mean, you know, Daily Co's. If you're if you're listening to our show, if you don't know where Daily Cozy is, I'm. That's kind of an odd deal. You must be related to one of the three of us, um, because it's such a huge uh, force in the left <laughs> wing, uh, you know, internet election sphere, if you will. Well, guys, let's talk about uh, some Georgia elections. And um, they've been having some debates. I think the ninth District replaced Doug Collins is on the ballot. The 7th District, or not 7th, the 14th different time uh, to replace Tom Graves is on there. And, of course, those two Senate races. And they've been having debates. Um, You know, one Republican uh, or two Republican on the congressional side, the Democratic one. I think also the 7th District, Rob Rob Woodall, they're probably having debates on both sides to replace that, and they start putting them on the internet instead of TV. I guess you can actually watch GPTV and see them. Catherine or Tim, have you caught any of those, or have you just read about them? I haven't caught them. Catherine? Yep. Tim, you seen any? No, uh, I've just, you know, seen what the news has had to say about them, and uh, the interesting visual. <laughs> You, you sent us earlier today with the candidate yeah. in the, over in the ninth district there standing in the gun store, which I think, I believe she owns, and with yeah, what seven assault it. weapons in the in the photo, that that certainly was interesting. I tell you what's taking up all the oxygen in the room, guys. Those are two Senate races. Uh, when we're talking about Georgia politics, we're we seem to be paying less attention to the congressional races than we are um than than we are them maybe it's because there's what maybe two competitive congressional races in the whole state yeah i mean i guess the primaries you're going to see who replaces them in in a few places but then the Rob Woodall the Gwinnett County based seat the 7th district right. Um, that's going right. to be very, very competitive. It's one of the most competitive and in the, the country. Six. And then, of course, the Republicans want to think the sixth is. I don't know how Lucy McBath, after two oh, years of incumbency, okay. becomes weaker. And so if you couldn't beat her when she wasn't the incumbent, I think it's just a harder battle. So I don't know yeah. how much energy okay, the Republicans should try there. Yeah, Tim? Well, David, you get past those two races, then what? Yeah, there's really there nothing else I mean, anywhere. I see it. There, there's not. I mean, I think the Republicans they want to get closer on Sanford Bishop's district because they've started. You know, there, there's been some <laughs> change in that district when the rural areas 
with the predominantly white voters. They're not going to get the 50, but it's one they're going to target. Over time, Henry County, Cayuta County, Fayette County, it's going to get a little more Democratic. The Ferguson seat, I forgot which number it is, um, it's going to become more Democratic, but it's going to be one of those seats where every two years it gets more Democratic. And if we're going in 24, if we're doing our 24th year, then we might be talking about it flipping. It'll have new lines mm-hmm. by then, and the, and the Republicans may just give up another seat and get rid of Henry County, get rid of part of Fulton, or other maybe Peachtree City, get rid of Fayette, and then uh, get rid of even parts of Kaida to just, you know, give up the Democratic seat to keep a safe Republican seat. But that's another mm-hmm. time for another show when redistricting happens. Um, so I think that's kind of where you're looking at. So that's where the action is. Um, but these debates, I, I don't know. Is it going to hurt interest that you can't uh, go to these, you know, voter forms in person? The only thing you can do is see these few Zoom debates. Catherine, do you think that's going to – maybe people will still vote, but will they be voting with less information than they ever have? Um, I don't know. I, I sort of feel like the combination of um, more mail-in ballot, which gives you – the opportunity to really look at your ballot and do some, you know, investigate the candidates and the, you know, the the ballot, and um, with these uh, virtual debates, I think most of them will probably be available to stream at your convenience, so you won't have to be locked to the television at a certain time to watch them. You can watch them anytime. A lot of people are at home now so they have more time I, I don't know I think it's there's it's like a you know whole new uh, reality right now and it'll be interesting to see if we come up with more informed voters because they have more time to do some investigation and some you know thought about who they're voting for yeah it may not mm. be better it may not be worse it's just different right yeah mm. exactly <laughs> yeah, Tim, now Tim, um, what are your thoughts on how, you know, just any of these races will be impacted with the different style of campaigning? Like, for instance, up here, I know yard signs don't vote, but since there's so little other things going on, I mean, uh, yard signs seem to even matter more for some reason, uh, and maybe not. We'll see, you know, when somebody uh, does some elections. They might matter. They might matter in some local races, but let's face it, up here we're in the middle of the 14th congressional district. We 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 pretty well know what's going to happen here. Uh, on some of the closer down ballot races around the state, it, it was always it, it was already getting a lot this way because of tribalism. But this year, even more so, when we are in the straight up and down Donald Trump era uh, of voting. I really, really think in the state of Georgia, every voter that votes for Trump is coming right down the ballot pretty much to vote for anybody that supports him. And everybody who can't stomach Trump is going to vote for everybody who also does not like Trump, even though it means in a local race they might you know, be voting against somebody they would normally vote for. I think we're going to see a lot more of that. That's why I believe 
and say these um, in state in, in the seventh, the ninth, the two Senate races, and the Donald Trump race. I think those races are going to kind of mirror each other a little bit. And I think the worse Trump does in this state, the less likely of a Karen handle comeback. And I really, if it's close, then the 7th District's going to be gone for the Republicans. And in these Senate races, if, if, if the Donald Trump race is really close, I think David Deere's right. The two Senate races are going to be close, too. Right? Yeah. Yeah. They will be close. Uh, it's just finishing the deal. Catherine, I'm going to lay out a scenario based on what Tim was saying. If, um, let's say at the end of the day, the Democrats force a runoff like they did in 2008, lose it um, in January 2021, um, and then they pick up the 7th Congressional District, which they came so close to picking up last time, but it's really picked up, and they win two or three new House seats, two or three new state Senate seats, maybe the numbers are even more. I, I, don't, I don't know the granule data of that right there, but let's just say it's, you know, they, they don't win the presidential race. We don't win either of the Senate seats. It's just that much of a pickup. Will that be a letdown, encouraging, or just kind of neutral? Um. Well, I think it'll be a letdown. How much the the fear is always that it'll be such a letdown that you know these people won't come back to vote or to volunteer again. But yeah, I think. I mean, I think. Yes, I think it'll be a letdown. Tim, same question. Do you think it'll be? You know, you win the seventh and and hold virtually everything else. You net three to five Senate. House state house seats, and that's about all you pick. And the, you force the runoff. Yeah, and and if things are are razor tied, even in the presidential race, uh, I, I I take the view that uh, that would be a very encouraging sign. We could say, you know what, folks, Georgia's a battleground state. We got two years. Let's go win some of these statewide wide races in twenty twenty two. Um, I, I would I would feel very encouraged with the very with, with the scenario that you just just gave. Of course, I would love to win one of those Senate seats, but if it's razor thin, then I know they are winnable. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, and I'll say, yeah, and I'll say this: I think people that really understand that it is a slow, hard process to change will be encouraged because. Either mm-hmm. you're getting better or you're getting worse every day, and you would have gotten better mm-hmm. that day in November. Um, but but I think right. some people that are just ready for it to happen, you know, they read Rui Tixtera's book, uh, Emerging Democratic Majority, uh, well over a decade ago, and they're waiting for it to happen because Georgia was on the list. Uh, especially Arizona, I think, is going to pass us up. Even if we both flip the state, I think Arizona's even going to do it faster. And then now Texas mm-hmm. – is um you know getting there actually i read something from elliot morris friend of the show he said that according to his election models texas is closer to voting democratic for president than wisconsin is in their modeling at the economist that, that was uh, pretty stunning. amazing 
That would be stunning. Yeah. If that's yeah, true, yeah. Donald Trump's going to gonna get beat election night. Now, now remember I said no, that. Not, if Texas not is, is, is tied election night, he's going to lose. That's it. Yeah. In our current electoral world, Republicans must have Texas. Democrats must have California. You figure well, out how to take California. one or the other away. <laughs> you win. Oh, exactly. I, there, there's, you know, there's no scenario that's even plausible that flips California. The Republicans, mm-hmm. but there is a plausible scenario for flipping Texas, and that's what's really got to worry. I'm sure Republicans up and down the ballot. Well, thanks yep. again to David Neer for coming on the show, and until next week. Been the Cozy Vine. Good night, y'all. Good night, guys. Bye, everybody. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime.